Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talking benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, healthcare, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits. It's that time of year. Do you guys have any favorite seasonal or holiday traditions that you'd like to share? Well... I do. I have a new tradition, a tradition tradition that's only about a year old, but I think it'll be a tradition. So I have a a friend from college that over the years we've discovered we both love the animated feature Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And we always would, you know, like buy each other little ornaments or whatever, but we finally decided why don't we watch it together, have a viewing party. So last year we started, we're doing it again this year, we're going to get together in the middle of the afternoon because, you know, why not have have pizza, have an adult beverage and and watch Rudolph. and his crew. It's really lovely. fun. And it's shorter. Right? It's shorter. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. What about you, Justin? Uh, new holiday tradition. Those here at the office know that I've been working on finishing my basement for the past many, many months. Just finished it and built a brand new bar down there. So going to be hosting some small holiday get-togethers down there throughout the next couple of weeks. So very that's excited perfect. for that. Some that Christmas cocktails. Very, yeah. very much so. What yes. about you, Anne? Well, having a younger family, we've started to come up with a lot of our own traditions. And some are ones we will continue, like breakfast with Santa, with the kids. But others have been failures. So we were like, let's do a big gingerbread house every year as a family. We can all decorate it together. And this one looked like the nightmare before Christmas because (laughs) the red icing got a little out of hand. So that's one we might discontinue for 2024. (laughs) Uh, But it's fun infusing both both new and old traditions into our season. That's fun. So this is actually a good segue into one of our own Talking Benefits traditions, which is doing a bit of a recap from the year on benefit trends and providing an outlook on what's ahead. Yes. So we did a little preliminary work and we identified six big benefit trends that shaped our industry in 2023. And they are not likely going anywhere as we look to the year ahead. And warning, as we chat through these, we are benefits and research nerds. So brace yourself for lots of data. Julie, why don't you kick things off with number one? Okay, so here we go. Now, throughout 2023, there's been a lot of attention focused on prescription drugs for obesity. The class of drugs known as glucagon-like peptide 1 drugs, which is a mouthful, so people say GLP-1 drugs. Now, this class of drugs has been around for almost 20 years to treat type 2 diabetes. Patients using them for that purpose also noticed weight loss. I know there's been discussion about patients using GLP-1 drugs like Ozempic off-label for weight loss and that off-label use causes challenges for employers that cover the drug for type 2 diabetes. Under their plans, they can cover it if it's prescribed for diabetes, but not necessarily for weight loss. Exactly. So what about coverage for weight loss drugs? Now, historically, employers have been resistant to cover weight loss prescription drugs due to things like questionable efficacy, safety issues, and side effects. Does anyone here other than me remember Fenfen? And perceptions that these were lifestyle drugs for cosmetic purposes. And Julia, those challenges are still absolutely in play, and they add into that cost. 
Right. So why are employers looking at coverage? So there's ongoing discussion now about whether or not obesity is a chronic disease. And whichever way you fall on that discussion, there is across the board recognition that obesity is linked to high-risk conditions like, yes, type 2 diabetes, and also hypertension, heart disease, some cancers, and the like. Now, the door really opened for discussion in 2021 with the Food and Drug Administration's approval of GLP-1 drug Wagovi for people with obesity or those who are overweight and have health problems related to excess weight. And then you add in early indications of effectiveness and employee demand, and employers are looking at covering them. You mentioned employee demand. Um, There's been a lot of that we keep hearing from our members. Yes, definitely. And that said, that demand is juxtaposed with other considerations, not the least of which, as Justin mentioned, is cost. The drugs come with a high price tag. In a recent report, Mercer indicated that they are typically priced around $1,000 per patient per month. So employers are concerned about this price tag, both for the short term, the immediacy of coverage after first prescribed, and also for long term. There's still some question about the long-term effectiveness of these drugs. Will the weight loss stay, or will patients need to keep taking the drug for the weight to stay off? And then you look at that expense, and you compare it with what you might save if other chronic conditions are avoided or improved. That's right, Julie. Uh, So this past October, we actually conducted a pulse survey on this topic, and we asked our members to tell us the main factors that are impacting their decision-making around coverage for these drugs. And their top two considerations were uh, what you mentioned, Julie. At number one, uh, obesity as a risk factor for chronic conditions and their associated costs. And at number two, the potential long-term costs for GLP-1 drugs. Employers are also thinking about the lack of long-term clinical studies and concerns about side effects as well. Uh, About one quarter of our respondents are focused on patient and prescriber demand as well as first-year costs. Many told us that they're seeking insights and recommendations from their broker, benefits consultant, or PBM. They're also looking to get a better understanding of the effectiveness of cost control mechanisms in place to manage the use and cost of these drugs. And we also asked our respondents if they offer GLP-1 drug coverage for diabetes. And at time of the survey in October, 76% do. And when it comes to coverage for weight loss, that percentage is sitting at 27%, with another 13% that are considering adding coverage for weight loss specifically. So we also asked our respondents to tell us what cost controls they have in place for these drugs. So not surprisingly, at number one, which was almost 80% of our respondents, was utilization management techniques like prior authorization and BMI or comorbidity requirements. And one third told us that they use step therapy. So the big question that's going to take us into 2024 is, will prices come down because of market competition? This past November, the FDA approved coverage for ZepBound, which is reportedly a bit cheaper per month than Wagovi, so only time will tell. Yes, indeed. One thing I know for sure, this will still be being talked about in 2024. So, Anne, what is our number two trend? So moving on from that is flexible work benefits and the four-day work week. Flexible work benefits have been trending for a while now, especially since the pandemic, 
These benefits are really what workers want and an important way that organizations can support employees really at every stage, from new parents to caregivers, those in that sandwich generation in particular. We've been hearing a lot lately about the four-day work week, so we'll share some data and get into that a bit. Now, caregiving benefits definitely fall under this flexible work benefits category, and we've been discussing this one over the last couple of years, again, gaining more popularity because of the pandemic. Employers are starting to provide benefits like referral services for child or elder care. And in the most recent employee benefits survey report from 2022, Uh, 6% of organizations shared that they provide financial subsidies for the escalating costs of child care. And this is a small percentage, of course, but it is up from only 3% in the 2018 iteration of the study. As I mentioned earlier, the four-day work week really made a splash in 2023, and we did a Pulse survey on this a couple months ago. Julie, do you want to expand on some of the findings? Sure. So the biggest takeaway was that 5% of employers are offering a four-day work week, either as a formal policy or on a case-by-case basis. A tiny fraction of employers, only about 1%, are in the process of piloting a four-day schedule, and an additional 14% at the time of the survey were considering implementing that. And just digging into those results a little bit more, I found it interesting that 41% of those employers that are implementing a four-day, 32-hour work week are doing so because of requests from employees. Uh, 36% are doing so as a retention strategy. Uh, The same proportion are implementing for work-life blend or company culture, and 27% cited recruitment strategy as the reason for implementing this new schedule. Some of the challenges that employers who are not offering a four-day work week have cited are lack of interest by upper management, difficulty implementing it organization-wide, negative impact on business operations, unsure if it would work with organizational structure, and unable to support customer base. So yeah, this is one that we see on the news and that we're watching, but most employers, even if they're interested, are struggling to figure out how to make this structure a reality while trying to meet business operation goals. That being said, other forms of flexible work arrangements are still taking shape. So in that same survey, 88% of organizations offer some type of remote option, including a hybrid schedule, and that is up from 75%. Flexible work hours, working remotely full-time, that used to be half, part-time schedule, and compressed work weeks. Okay, so that sounds good. What's next up, Justin? Yes, going to continue with our trend number three, family forming benefits, uh, a series of offerings that got increased attention throughout 2023. Pretty self-explanatory topic, any benefit that is helpful in assisting workers in starting or growing a family. And just like most employee benefits that we discussed, uh, this can take the form of specific benefit offerings or time off on either a paid or unpaid basis. And I'm going to go ahead and start with the benefit offering side and begin with fertility benefits. Okay, so talking about fertility. According to our most recent employee benefits survey from 2022, 40% of responding organizations offer at least one benefit related to fertility. And those 40% of respondents were asked specifically which types of fertility benefits they offer. The most common include physician office visits, physical exams, 
fertility and infertility diagnoses, IVF, fertility medications, and then also genetic testing to determine infertility issues. That's right, Julie. Another potential area to consider offering as a benefit is surrogacy. Surrogacy reimbursement programs are uh, one such benefit that may particularly appeal to LGBTQ plus employees. Uh, while many different families consider surrogacy for many different reasons, it is the only biological pathway to parenting for some LGBTQ plus or queer couples or individuals. 9% of employers provided a surrogacy reimbursement program with 29% adding or enhancing their surrogacy reimbursement according to a separate 2020 study by Willis Towers Watson. And if you're looking for more information in this area, our colleague Jenny Gartman wrote a really great blog titled Inclusive Family Forming Benefits Surrogacy Reimbursement Programs. Very specific, but it gets all into the details of this topic. So be sure to check that out. Another area of family forming benefits is adoption. Many couples or individuals who are unable to conceive or may prefer another option may turn to adoption. Yeah, and if successful, adoption can be a miracle for every party involved. But two of the biggest barriers to adoption are first, the cost, and second, the complexity of navigating the system. So how do you overcome the cost aspect? Providing financial assistance for adoption is offered by 20% of responding organizations. Uh, and again, that was data from the 2022 Employee Benefits Survey. So that can absolutely go a long way. The second barrier is complexity and ambiguity. Friends who've gone through this process have really struggled. And according to that same data from 2022, 18% of organizations offer resource and referral services for adoption, almost the same as financial assistance. And these can be just as, if not more valuable than the financial piece in terms of worker productivity. Yeah, a huge part of this can be leave offerings. Um, we have a long list of paid and unpaid leaves from that employee benefit survey again. Um, obviously, a large proportion of respondents offer paid maternity, paid paternity, but some of those go beyond those very standardized offerings. Paid parental family leave is offered by 43%. Adoption leave is offered by 36%. Paid leave related to a miscarriage is offered by 16%, as well as paid foster care leave at 9%. And I'll just note here, unpaid leaves, something that we've mentioned a few times now, in podcast episodes, webcasts, and the like. Unpaid leaves do not break the bank from an employer perspective, but they provide much-needed flexibility from a worker perspective. And with any conversation around paid and unpaid leave, I will mention I'm not an attorney, nor do I play one on TV, so please follow all local laws. And just another note, look at the resources that you may already be offering as an organization. Can some of those definitions of the leaves that you may already be offering be broadened just a little bit to be a little bit more inclusive? What about your EAP? Are there any existing services or resources uh, that you may already be offering that just need some enhanced communication around? Uh, there's not necessarily a lot of use in reinventing the wheel if there are services that are available that are already off the shelf. Something else I'll mention in designing an effective family forming benefit strategy, make sure that there are some post-birth continuity there. For example, if you offer financial assistance for adoption but don't cover adopted children as part of the dependents in your health plan, that might be a deterrent for some employees. And then on the paid leave side, only 10% of our survey respondents 
said that they offer paid time off to attend a child's activities. So that might be a deterrent to workers as well who are using and looking for those family-forming benefits. These benefits, just like any other, are designed to retain your valuable workers in your organization, as well as recruit valuable workers from outside your organizations. And family-forming benefits can be a great way to recruit and retain those valuable workers that put a strong emphasis on inclusivity. A recent study from the Family Equality Council noted that the number of LGBTQ families is set to grow dramatically. And they will increasingly look towards foster care, adoption, and assisted reproductive technology to grow their families. That is right. And just to close out this topic, I'm going to pull a quote from a recent SHRM article. Quote, offering fertility benefits to all employees, including LGBTQ and single prospective parents, is a positive way to create a more inclusive workplace. Fertility benefits can be highly valued by talent, no matter their gender identity or relationship. Julie, if that quote sounds familiar, it's because it comes right from you. <laughs> That's thanks for including that, Justin. So next up is a topic we've been focused on a lot pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and now, and that's mental health. You certainly know the vast scope of this topic, so many angles, so many issues. Over the years, we've done multiple podcast episodes, blog posts, articles, surveys, webcasts, conference sessions, and we even have an annual virtual conference. We've decided to tackle this vast topic round-robin style with quick bits of information. In doing so, we're definitely not trying to diminish the importance of this issue. Now, if you'd like to learn more, please go to our mental health toolkit at ifebp.org slash mental health. So let's start with stigma. As I've commented before, maybe the only silver lining to come out of the pandemic is that the stigma surrounding mental health seems to have lessened. People found that they could talk about their challenges at home, with friends, with family, and even in the workplace. Certainly, stigma is still present, but workers seem to be a little bit more comfortable discussing their challenges, especially with trusted coworkers, and maybe even with their managers. And managers may well be feeling a little bit more comfortable checking in with their staff to just make sure how they're doing, what their well-being status is. Let's talk about how managers can help their employees. Certainly, a company likely offers access to an employee assistance program and to mental health benefits. Managers should make sure to communicate the availability of these benefits and refer workers to them. So what else can an employer do? Consider giving your supervisors training on how to recognize and deal with workers who are facing challenges. QPR and mental health first aid are examples. Check out our producer, Stacey Van Alstein's recent excellent blog post called Six Steps to Addressing Mental Health in the Workplace for more insights. And actually, one of our most recent benefits bonus podcast episodes is Stacey reading her blog on this topic. So if you prefer to listen rather than read, that might be a good option. And we've heard consistently the uh, impact that organizational leaders can have on mental health and overall worker well-being. Uh, and as Stacy mentioned in that blog post, leaders must talk about mental health. If they do, that signals to employees that it's okay to talk about it. Okay, so what is new in mental health? It's been about a year and a half since the rollout of the 988 hotline. 
It's been reported that the shorter, easier to remember number and new features like Spanish call, text, and chat options have meant more calls and more people who are being helped. The very public rollout of this hotline raised awareness of the issues. And we've also been watching the surge in virtual care options since the pandemic. And speaking of virtual, uh, employers are increasingly providing access to mental health mobile apps. Uh, and new AAP models are leveraging technology to create more individualized and concierge experiences. Now, a continuing challenge is the shortage in providers. While employees have access to employer-provided benefits, employees and their dependents still face difficulties in getting timely care. Virtual access, quality EAPs, and better integration of mental health care into primary care can help, but there are still wait times that are too long. As we've talked about in past episodes, mental well-being is part of whole person well-being. In addition to behavioral diagnosis like depression and anxiety, employees bring other challenges to the workplace, or the workplace adds to these challenges, often in the form of stress and burnout. More recently, there has been a recognition of the importance of organizational culture in making employees feel like they belong and that they're valued. And that sense of belonging and being valued is critically important to whole person well-being. There's an array of benefits that employers can provide to build this organizational culture of belonging. Benefits that are personalized can be individualized. Examples include flexible work time, remote work options, employee resource groups, lifestyle accounts, unlimited paid time off, also known as flexible planned vacation because we covered that in a past podcast episode, mm. and time off for volunteering. So thanks for listening as we took a fast ride through all things mental health. We've barely scratched the surface, so please check out our other educational and informational offerings on this topic. So, Anne, you want to introduce our next trend? Sure. So we are going to talk about menopause, and destigmatizing menopause has been a very hot topic in 2023, and a trend that will continue in the years ahead, very likely. Um, within recent years, it's involved increasing awareness in the workplace about the menopause transition, the symptoms and the effects that these symptoms can have on work and the quality of life. Yes, some employers are considering workplace changes with the goal of retaining experienced women, addressing symptoms that impact productivity, and creating an inclusive work environment. And about 20% of the workforce is in some stage of menopause transition, according to Let's Talk Menopause. Yes, elder millennials are nearing 40 now. Don't remind me. <laughs> Nearly 11% of women aged 45 to 60 reported missing work in the last 12 months due to symptoms such as uh, hot flashes as well as sleep disturbances, according to a study by the Mayo Clinic. Uh, the study estimated that menopause causes $1.8 billion in lost work time per year in the United States. This is all proof that there's a big opportunity for employers to make the workplace environment more supportive for women going through this universal life stage. When employers are ensuring that employees experiencing the menopause life stage can continue to grow and succeed, this positively affects organizational culture and impacts business and ultimately the bottom line. Now, some employers are starting by offering education that defines menopause, raising awareness of symptoms, and helping to reduce stigma. 
Further steps include reviewing benefit offerings like flexible work time and paid or unpaid time off, and seeking employee feedback. Workplace accommodations could include access to break rooms and fans or remote work. We just had a webcast about menopause benefits, so members can go back and watch the recorded version of that if they missed it. The next trend is inflation and the rising cost of living and the impact that it has on the financial and mental health of workers. That's right, Anne. Uh, This is a trend that we've been tracking throughout the year. Uh, There were times near the end of 2022 and early into 2023 where the annualized change in the Consumer Price Index, or CPI, was as high as 9%. Uh, The most recent CPI inflation report was just released, uh, and November came in at 3.1%. Just as a general note, the uh, Federal Reserve target rate is usually around 2%. Uh, So again, these numbers are absolutely improving, but they're still above those target rates. In essence, this means that the price of goods and services are rising, uh, which reduces the purchasing power of workers, and this leads to financial stress, uh, which can have a huge impact on worker productivity. That's right. And this impact can certainly be substantial, as you mentioned, Justin. There was a recent sleep survey released by U.S. News & World Report that tracked several metrics, including America's top worries at bedtime. Things like COVID-19, climate change, and gun violence were all very prevalent, but the number one issue in both 2022 and 2023 was inflation. So we know the issue. What can be done from an employer perspective? Yeah, luckily, uh, employers can offer a wide variety of benefits that can uh, help combat some of that impact. Uh, And many of these are of little or no cost to an organization. Uh, I'll start with dependent care flexible spending accounts. Uh, As a father, these accounts have been huge uh, in helping to pay for the increasing cost of daycare. Uh, And these are very commonly offered benefits. Uh, Currently, about three in four respondents from our 2022 Employee Benefits Survey offer dependent care FSAs. Uh, But we're now seeing some more examples of employers providing seed money for these accounts uh, to encourage their use and also improve their effectiveness. Now, some other offerings that could be classified under the emergency or loan category are emergency savings accounts sponsored by organizations. Now, only 1% of the respondents to our recent survey are offering these programs, but we are seeing a lot of increased attention in this area. We're also seeing emergency hardship assistance provided by employers as increasingly common. While employers offering payroll advance loans isn't common, this may be a good move as going to external sources for these types of loans may be a bit treacherous for your workers. Another area that could be targeted in times of financial uncertainty are educational expenses, either for a dependent or for the worker themselves. Uh, Almost half of workers offer educational assistance programs, while smaller proportions offer student loan repayment programs, as well as counseling, refinancing, as well as consolidation of student loans. There are plenty of offerings in the employer-sponsored planning space as well. Things like personal consultation services, retirement income calculators, on-demand benefit statements, credit counseling, as well as projected accounts balance statements, and financial wellness workshops. 
And I'll just note a quick example here, uh, an innovative program that was announced earlier in the year by Delta Airlines, sort of combining that education piece with the emergency savings piece that we mentioned earlier. Seems like it's a pretty effective approach so far. Uh, eligible employees can earn up to $1,000 from Delta to fuel their emergency savings when they complete a financial education or coaching program, as well as contribute a small amount to their emergency saving accounts. And again, a broken record because we said this earlier in the podcast, but check your already existing resources. Are some of those already available in your EAP? Make sure to carefully review the list of offered resources and communicate that. The answer may not be to add new benefit offerings, but to just be more effective in how you're communicating what you already have. And be mindful of that strategy. If your message is regarding inflation and the impact on retirement savings, those who are going to retire in the next year are going to be more heavily impacted by an inflationary environment than workers like me who have a good, you know, 25 years until retirement. That sounds like a long time, but that's the reality. <laughs> well, okay. So there are our 2023-2024 trends. Unless you think that we have forgotten about lingering legislative and regulatory issues, fear not. We have not. <laughs> we are watching. So will the DOL's rulemaking process continue or will it stall in 2024? Two major proposals have mixed support among stakeholders, the new fiduciary rule and the proposed mental health parity rule. So will these move forward to final rule implementation or will they stall? Stalling could be due to either legal challenges or to the 2024 presidential election. So in the proposed retirement security rule regarding the definition of an investment advice fiduciary, fiduciary duty would include one-time advice about moving retirement savings out of an employer-sponsored plan. Rollovers to IRAs and annuity purchases would be fiduciary advice too. And under the proposed mental health parity rule, health plans would have to demonstrate operationally and with outcomes data that people seeking treatment for mental health and substance use disorders can access care as easily as people seeking medical treatments. So stay tuned on that. And that will do it for this month's episode and this year of the Talking Benefits podcast. We wanted to thank you all again for listening. And we also wanted to give a huge shout out to Jenny Gartman. She's one of our information specialists, a very fabulous person, and an even better knitter. She's so good at knitting. She is a great knitter. <laughs> also knows a lot about benefits. So thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Jenny. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all the International Foundation has to offer at ifvp.org. Our show is hosted by Julie Stick, Justin Held, and me, Ann Patterson. Produced by Stacey Van Alstyne and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2023 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, All Rights Reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel.
she's one of our information specialists and a fantabulous, whoa. I'm making a face because I just said that <laughs> so bad. I'm just going to, Amanda, I'm real sorry. And you know what's, what else is cute? You guys, this is a tradition that Julie has continued ever since we were Pod Squad members together. And she gives us all a cute little gift, which is so nice. So on our little recording desks when we entered today, Julie had sweet little gifts for us. Should we open at the same time? You can, sure. Okay. What's it going to be? I have a pretty I, good idea. It might be what so it usually sucks. is. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Wow. You're welcome. Thanks for warming our hearts and our feet this there holiday season. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Thank you so much, Julie. I love this You're tradition. <laughs> These You're are welcome. so great. I wore some. Eliza had a birthday party at like this indoor gym place where like you have to wear your socks, even the adults. And I'm like, God, I don't have any. And then I found all my Julie socks <laughs> in a special drawer. section. And I was like, you're, you're, you're covered. The toddler is really enjoying my dog socks from like 2020 <laughs> from Julie. There you go. <laughs> so thank you. you Amanda, do I have to re-record anything? All good. Thank you. <laughs>